Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info. Welcome to a new week on Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut, and I'm very happy to have all of you with us uh, today on the beginning of the legislative uh, session, a day before a visit to the state by President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. But let us stipulate at the very top of today's show that as much as we love politics here at Political Rewind, Today's big story is obviously the national championship game uh, tonight between the University of Georgia and the team that shall not be named uh, because you already know too well who that other team is playing in the game tonight. And to speak their name might, in fact, uh, be a further jinx that the University of Georgia has had in playing the team that shall not be named. So <laughs> we may get into a few words about the national championship during the show today with our panel. Let me introduce him right now. Of course, Jim Galloway is with me as he is on Mondays. Uh, you know him as the former political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, now enjoying his time uh, working, you know, a little bit, but also trying to uh, be a, uh, a retired journalist. How are you, Jim? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm just dreading tonight. Uh, it's going to be a long. No. It's going to be a long one, and 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 maybe and and regardless of what happens, I'm not going to be able to get to sleep till two two a.m. or so. Yeah. First of all, don't dread <laughs> the night. You're making assumptions ahead of time that you really should not be making. Uh, you are a graduate of the University of Georgia. We should point out. So, uh, the game has particular meaning uh, for. You, uh, I, I really should introduce uh, Audrey Haynes next, uh, professor of political science and a frequent uh, participant on Political Rewind at the University of Georgia. Audrey, do you teach a class on Tuesdays this semester? I do. You do? And what's your expectation of having anyone show up for your class mm -hmm. tomorrow? <laughs> I have expectations. Actually, my students who are at the game have already um, emailed me and let me know that they're there and asked me um, to please forgive them and have understanding. Um, I'm more worried about the consequences of the people who are here watching it at home and whether they're going to show up uh, given either outcome. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, well, we'll, we'll uh, uh, hope the best uh, for you. For, we'll hope your class is a celebration. Uh, tomorrow. We're joined by Tammy Greer, professor of political science at Clark Atlanta University. And Tammy, um, the game may or may not be on the top of your mind, but what should be, I would think, near the top of your mind is that I believe President Biden is going to uh, make part of his, uh, one of his stops tomorrow in Atlanta at Clark Atlanta University. We'll, we'll talk a little later in the show about his coming in to talk about voting rights, but will you be there to see him? I will not. Um, we have a closed campus because of the the variant going on right now. Um, so we, we were just told that there's a very special engagement that will be at CAU Tuesday. So we're excited to have okay. him come to campus. All right. Well, and thank you for being with us for the show today. And certainly, last but not least, Alan Abramowitz, emeritus professor now at Emory University. 
Um, Alan, you're, you are an emeritus professor, but as you mentioned before we went on the air, you are teaching a class uh, this semester. Right, and it meets for the first time tomorrow uh, morning, so we'll see. I expect quite a few of our Emory students uh, will be watching the game tonight as well, although, of course, we know that Emory's football team remains, as always, undefeated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Alan's been um, waiting for right. you that one. I know you have. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's get to uh, the topics of uh, po- political interest uh, for uh, today. Um, I guess we should start with uh, looking at what's going on with the Omicron. Uh, variant. It is spreading, as we know, like wildfire in many regions of the country and certainly here in Georgia. Um, At the end of last week, the state had its largest number ever of positive cases, more than 26,000 of them. Um, uh, And children are being infected at a higher rate than ever before. Uh, it, it, It is possible that people are not getting as sick from this variant, although the jury is still out on that to some extent. There aren't hospitalizations so far have not uh, soared the way that the uh, positive test test, uh, results have. Uh, But we're still kind of waiting, Jim, to see what the impact of this virus is going to be on all of us. Jim, schools, many of them, going back into in-person classes, uh, despite the fact children are getting infected at much higher rates. Right, right. Uh, metro Metro Atlanta school systems, many of them are. Cobb County is not. This is where I I I, I live, and and of course I've got a daughter who's a school teacher who called up uh, uh, yesterday afternoon and said she was running a fever, had a cough, and has scheduled a test. Many of her uh, a colleague has also tested positive, and uh, and many of her students. This is I think I, I think it's there's no question that. That that the public schools are where where uh, uh, the Omicron virus is going to play out. I think. Um, let, let's put it in a political context. Um, we know that late last week the Supreme Court heard two cases uh, that relate to uh, Biden administration mandates. One, the mandate that uh, employers with uh, more than a hundred. Uh, people working for them, businesses with more than 100 employees, must require uh, vaccines or, I think, weekly testing. And the second, a mandate for healthcare workers to be vaccinated as well. And Alan, from all the reports of court observers, journalists and others, it appears that the court, the justices seem very, very doubtful that the mandate on businesses has a constitutional legal underpinnings, Alan. That's right. If you um, uh, listened to or read the uh, or, oral arguments and then the, the comments that were made by the justices, it, it, it's, it's pretty clear that this is uh, another case in, where we're very likely to see the, the court divide uh, along party lines, um, where we're, we're likely to see the the six, you know, conservative Republican appointed justices on one side uh, overturning at least the, the business mandate. Uh, they may they may uphold the, the mandate for health care workers. But um, the three the three Democratic appointees, the three liberals on the court will very likely vote to uphold uh, the, uh, the, uh, the mandate. And, and this is consistent with what we've been seeing 
uh, as these cases have moved through the uh, lower courts and you know through the first the trial courts and then and then the circuit courts, we've seen the same thing. Um, that in almost every instance, uh, we're seeing that the decisions fall along very you know predictable party and ideological lines. Audrey, um, Georgia was one of the litigants who brought this case, and uh, I want to read you a quote and then let you comment on it. When, when the state of Georgia joined this lawsuit, this is what Brian Kemp issued in a statement, quote, In addition to vilifying Americans for their personal choices, Joe Biden's vaccine mandates are unlawful and a recipe for economic disaster. And he goes on. This federal government power grab defies reason, and Attorney General Chris Carr and I will not allow the administration to force hardworking Georgians to choose between their livelihoods and this vaccine. This unlawful mandate is yet another example of the Biden administration's complete disregard for the constitutional rights afforded to our state and our citizens, was the comment from Attorney General Chris Carr. Audrey? Well, and uh, that's not unexpected given that we are a conservative state and uh, we have a a general election uh, and a primary coming up pretty soon. But and I would preface this by saying I'm not a constitutional scholar, but, you know, it is complicated because if you look at the issues, there is not a lot of federal law out there that allows for broad mandates of the federal government to impose vaccines. There is a lot of existing law that allows local and states to police uh, health policy. So, you know, right now, if we weren't such a divided country and we weren't so different in terms of state law, we'd probably see more of what's needed to this problem, which is a social solution, a collective solution, and public policy um, being driven by public health. But instead, we have a lot of political division, and states are using their broad powers in this area in some states to do things like vaccine mandates, but in other states, they're using them to block vaccine vaccine mandates. I'm trying to do that five times fast. That's really hard. Um, So, you know, it is an area, I would argue, of unsettled law. And there are some areas where there's a possibility that um, the federal government will find a niche that allows for mandating vaccines in certain categories, because there's some existence with federal employees in the military and so on. But um, it's not something that is like an easy dunk for the Biden administration, especially when there's so much pressure coming from them from conservative governors. But, you know, we'll have to see it play out in the courts. Tammy? Yes, and I also find it very interesting how um, this particular vaccine is the vaccine that we appear to go on the heel to, um, and forgive the pun, for some people to die on, um, whereas you have other vaccines that have been required um, and, um, and, and there didn't seem to be, you know, that much of a challenge with it. And, and you still have in public schools and, and in certain arenas in, in the military where certain vaccines are required. So I find this challenge very interesting. I also think it's um, fascinating to see in a policy space uh, it play out to where um, you see the different ideology when it comes to the function of governing. Um, so one is, tends to be um, on the side of uh, public um, service and public good, I would say public good uh, for the collective. 
versus it being um, used, you know, to uh, push forward individualism, um, which does not help in the collective entity that we have as these United States. So it's very fascinating to see um, how the the that particular ideology comes out, not necessarily the political ideology, just the way to which one views the function of government is very fascinating. So, Jim, uh, Chief Justice Roberts had uh, uh, had a, a he believes that this mandate he, he suggested that the mandate probably is not appropriate uh, because he says OSHA had never mandated vaccines before, and that Congress was the body that would have had to specifically give OSHA the power to enact a vaccine or test mandate. But then he went on to say something that brings us right back to Georgia and where we stand in terms of how our elected officials are de- dealing with the variant. He says he says it, it might be appropriate for individual states to impose such a mandate. Um, it, it, Jim, to what extent, we know Governor Kemp from the very start of the pandemic has not been enthusiastic about imposing mitigation uh, uh, efforts like uh, rules like uh, mask wearing um, and, uh, and, and closing down the schools. I mean, he's always said we've got to keep business moving forward. But, but now the question becomes, to what extent is the 2022 election cycle playing into the thinking that many in the state here have now about how seriously we need to be protecting ourselves yeah, it's it's a kind of a, an interesting case of uh, of uh, Darwinism, if if you will. Uh, you know, there, there's there is a there's a I I, I think there's a, a very a significant parallel here with uh, with uh, right now with the with the the nation's dilemma over over voting rights. Uh, you know, I mean, we, I mean, what do you when when it when a state if 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 the argument is that it is the state's job a state's job to protect public health or protect voting rights, and if that state is not doing its job uh, for its uh, uh, for, for for whatever reasons, you know, it's it's can the can the federal government step in? Uh, it, it's it's the same question. It's just uh, uh, the microbes are, are much smaller than a virus. Alan, I yeah, I I think it's very clear when you listen to that statement from the governor, um, and and when we also when we talk we'll, we'll talk later about, about the issue of gun rights and and, and other issues uh, that are facing the the, the uh, coming up in the legislative session um, that. Uh, Everything that the governor is doing right now, everything he's saying, everything he's doing has to be interpreted in the context of the upcoming primary election in which uh, he is being challenged by, um, of course, David Perdue running as the anointed candidate of Donald Trump. And so Kemp is trying very hard and even before the challenge was trying very hard. Uh, in the aftermath of the 2020 election to ingratiate himself to the Republican uh, base in, in the state, which he knows is strongly anti-mandate, strongly supportive of gun rights. And, uh, and I think that that's what we're hearing. And I think that's the way we have, we have to understand what's, what's going on right now. Um, Audrey, you wanted to weigh in. 
You're muted, Audrey. You know what? Still can't do it after like almost two and a half years. I'm still using the mute button. So um, talking about the Supreme Court, um, you know, one of the things a recent Gallup poll had was uh, a poll of the public's trust in federal officials. And the only person who stood out with bipartisan report was Chief Justice John Roberts. Everyone else was very low. The president, Mitch McConnell, you know, and I just suggest the, the divisions that are in there. But Roberts, for some reason, has sort of risen, risen above that. And at least half of Republicans and half of Democrats um, have trust in the decisions that he's making. And I would note that in terms of uh, Kemp political uh, rhetoric, it's very interesting. You know, you would think that most people want something to be done about COVID. Even the people on the right, the people on the left, they want something to make things go back to normal. And usually they're going to turn to government to do that, you know, and you see a lot of people saying it's their responsibility to get something done. Well, remember when Governor Trump was going to run as like the COVID governor, remember, he's going to talk about the response to this. And as Alan was saying, there's a campaign coming. What is an easy issue? An easy issue is guns. You know, that takes away some of the air from the discussion of, you know, why is there nothing on my shelf at Walmart? You know, you know, why can't I get a test when I need it? You know, why can't I go to the hospital and, and get my, my surgery? So that, I, that's one of the reasons we need to keep paying attention to the things they're saying. But we need to hold them responsible for things we need to get done. Yeah, uh, t- Tammy, I want to, in a minute, turn, in fact, to uh, the governor's agenda for the legislative session. But before we do, what, one more uh, a note about this uh, Georgia joining the lawsuit uh, to block the business mandate. Uh, the the state filed in, it w- was part of that suit, it was filed in November. So it did precede David Perdue's entry against Brian Kemp. But but nevertheless, Alan's correct. I mean, Brian Kemp was already working to, uh, you know, um, make sure the base would support him despite uh, Donald Trump's anger at him. And and here's what I want to focus on for a minute, uh, Tammy. He says at the top of this statement, in addition to vilifying Americans for their personal choices, it's the word vilifying in this case Talk about toxic politics. This is a governor who repeatedly has said to people he's been vaccinated. He would encourage people to talk to their doctors because vaccines are probably a good thing. And yet, in the context of this lawsuit, he says that the Biden administration is, quote, vilifying Americans. I was particularly struck by that phrase. Right. So um, we're in the Matrix um, Resurrections right now, uh, listening to Neil Patrick Harris, um, because it, it is the emotions of the moment has has clouded our judgment when it comes to factual information um, to to be the do as I say, not as I do type of situation here where. I am vaccinated. I understand the the you know, masking, I understand the precautions, yet, you know, let's not make everyone else do it, right? So we we will use words, these emotional words like vilifying to make, make make it to where there's someone that's an enemy. 
And instead of, again, coming together for the collective, we want to pin each other against one another, um, not for the sake of we're having, you know, a thoughtful discussion about policy. It is about winning those political points that then, of course, moves into my area. Um, you turn people off. So you have disengagement from the political and policy process um, because we don't want to be vilified or demonized or dehumanized. Um, so we separate. And it does not do justice to um, Georgians. It does not do justice to us as a collective communities um, to, to dehumanize and pin each other against one another. Um, thank you for that. Um, I hope a little bit later in the show, speaking to that, we can talk about Sam Olin's uh, essay in yesterday's um, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, a longtime a, a, a Republican for life who uh, yesterday wrote an essay, published an essay, saying enough is enough. We've got to get back to a politics in which we learn to respect each other again. But well, let's see if we can find time for that later in the show. In the meantime, Jim, uh, the legislature uh, was gaveled to session. Usually they start, we know, at 10 a.m. Not today. They, they, it, they uh, gaveled in, I think, in the Senate as well as House at 8.30 this morning. Uh, it, the idea was to do a couple of quick pieces of business and then let the people who wanted to go to Indianapolis jump on airplanes and, and fly north for the game tonight, Jim. Yeah, I was just trying to check to see if uh, to see if they had already adjourned, uh, because that yeah. was the plan. That was the plan. It was 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 to uh, was to burn a day uh, simply so those who wanted to could get to Indianapolis. So it's it's uh, uh, and and uh, this is one of those rare moments. You have to. I I, I wish I were at the Capitol to, to to enjoy it, where where party doesn't matter. Where partisanship disappears, <laughs> that that the only the only the only thing that exists is Georgia Georgia Tech, and and the tech folks are all right with this. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Sam Burmistas just told me that the Senate was not gaveling in until ten. It was the House. David Ralston wanted to have an early start so he could get on an airplane and fly uh, to Indianapolis with a few of his uh, colleagues. Although Jeff Duncan, the lieutenant governor, apparently is going up too. All right, Jim. Uh, we already mentioned it. Uh, Audrey said that, you know, you uh, you uh, decide that you're going to showcase a bill that would allow contra uh, constitutional carry. That's the general term for you can carry a weapon concealed or in open with no permit. And and that's going to be a top priority for Governor Kemp this session, Jim. Yeah, it's hard to uh, hard to uh, just to kind of fathom that that. Uh, that 10, 15 years ago, Georgia was a place where you, you could carry a gun under very specific uh, purposes, in, only in very specific places. Uh, but but uh, this this is this is going to be another ramping up of of the availability of guns. Uh, even though uh, we, you know we we have we have a problem with gun violence everywhere in the state right now. Uh, I am particularly worried. You know it's. When you have a situation where someone wants to be a hero and pulls out of a gun, a gun uh, how is a law enforcement officer supposed to know who is the bad guy, who is the the, the good guy? Are we going to be wearing signs that uh, says, you know, no, no, I'm I'm the good guy with a gun? Uh, because those are split second decisions that have to be made, and we've already seen several instances uh, elsewhere 
uh, where a where a, a a would-be hero with a gun uh, is shot by cops. Okay. Audrey? Well, you know, one of the things I was talking about um, in terms of this uh, topic being a little bit easier for the governor is that if you look on the books already, I mean, there are so many ways that people can carry a gun as it is. And we know that Governor Deal um, signed into law that um, the bill with campus carry. So, you know, if you look at the implications of what's really going to change when this law passes, you know, um, some people would say things are going to change really just at the margins, that it's, you know, it's not going to have, you know, widespread impact. And also there's a belief among many conservatives and Republicans and people in general that those people who are carrying weapons anyhow, because you can open carry basically almost anywhere in the state with some prohibitions, but they're already doing it. So in their calculation of the cost of this bill, it's a, it's a bill with you know, literally no cost, except they may lose some fees that you have to um, gain. I think it's like $75 you pay to get a um, uh, 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 concealed carry permit. So, you know, in their calculation, it resonates with people. It's a very strong base issue. It doesn't really cost them a lot. Um, And, you know, a lot of the they have talking points go against the rhetoric already. Um, So, you know, it, that's what I meant when I said it's an easy issue for them, and it deflects because it's an emotional issue. People get really, um, you know, on either side involved in it. And I think it's one that they'll want to use if they make it out of the primary, um, you know, and use it in the general election. Well, it's just another example, I think, of camp and Republican leaders in the state playing to their, to their base. Um, we, we know that this will be popular with a large majority of Republican voters, with a large majority of Republican primary voters. And, and right now, I think that that's the primary concern. Uh, as far as the practical effects of it, you know, I, I, I think there's something to be said for re- requiring people to have a license uh, in order to, to have a gun. At least that gives the state a record of who the gun, who owns a gun uh, and 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 possibly in a criminal investigation, if the gun is used in, in the commission of a crime, it might make it somewhat easier to track down, um, you know, the, the ownership of the gun that was used. Um, so I don't, I, I really don't see what the benefit uh, of this is uh, in terms of public policy. It's clearly just being done for political reasons. Uh, Tammy, before we get to the break, uh, just one more uh, uh, note about all of this. Um, and, and we'll talk about sep- these separate issues that are going to be debated in the legislature as they come up over the next couple of months. But in addition to the constitutional carry bill, we uh, know that Jan Jones, who is a, a, a speaker pro tem, a Republican in the House, is going to push for this ban on so-called obscene materials in schools. We know there's going to be a measure that will ban uh, the teaching of critical race theory in schools in Georgia, which isn't even taught in the in schools at, at right now. Um, and all of these point to base-pleasing um, elements that, um, that really come as a result of a couple of things. Number one, the David Perdue challenge of Brian Kemp, who's further to the right, Kemp or Perdue, and legislators running for re-election who want to make sure their voters know they're in the Trump camp, they're not among those anti-Trumpers who are so hateful to the base, right? 
Right. And whether or not they are the uh, a, a Trumpian or Republican uh, wins the primary or whether or not a more moderate um, Republican wins the primary, regardless, um, everyone still has the same talking points for the general election. Um, it's, again, very fascinating to see um, what people say um, as leading up to an election, and we should believe them. And then when they get into office and hold these positions in order to make law and policy, we, we need to believe them when they're going up for the interview. And as the citizens in this state who are able to vote, we need to take a, a collective look at these individuals to determine Again, emotionally or policy, which one makes more sense for the collective? Um, and then when these individuals get into office, you know, they will continue to um, expand their agenda. Just because they're not talking about voting this this session because it's a trickier uh, bag for them does not mean that there's not going to be uh, something in the bag uh, or on the agenda for next year. So we have to be careful this year um, for the election. All right. Uh, Tammy Greer, you get the last word in the first segment of Political Rewind. Way too much to discuss on the other side of the break, but we'll do our best to get to as many topics as we can. You're listening to Political Rewind. Emory University's Alan Abramowitz, University of Georgia's Audrey Haynes, Jim Galloway, and uh, Tammy Greer of Clark Atlanta University joined me today. Um, Tammy, because your area of, of, of interest in many ways is voter engagement, something that matters a lot to the work you do. Let me start with you on this. Uh, the, the president and vice president are heading to Atlanta tomorrow. They are here to promote the uh, voting rights bills, two voting rights bills, which passed the House, but of course are stalled in the Senate because uh, they certainly can't get past the, the uh, ability of uh, Republicans to filibuster. And uh, let me just read you a quick quote from Cedric Richmond, who's the White House senior advisor and director of the Office of Public Engagement. He said, quote, this is referring to why they're coming to Georgia. We are doubling down, kicking it into another gear. We are going right to the belly of the beast or ground zero for voter suppression, voter subversion and obstruction. Uh, all of that speaking about the new voting laws in the state of Georgia, which a lot of people would take issue with, by the way. Nevertheless, uh, Tammy, they'll be here to try to push these bills. And let's add the one other element. There are voting rights groups who have basically said to the White House, if you don't have a real action plan for doing something about these measures, getting them passed, don't even bother to come. There's a lot of frustration among uh, voting rights activists who believe that Biden is not doing enough to get these uh, measures passed. Yeah, it's um, so much, so much there to unpack. Um, so when it comes to um, the, the White House coming, it's important because part of the um, informal powers of the executive branch is the bully pulpit. And so you go to places in order to get um, those voters to be engaged. So let's be clear. It is not the president that is stalling these, um, these bills from being passed into law or signed into law. It is Congress, which means that it is the responsibility of us as citizens to get on the phone 
and to contact our senators in, in this case um, to get them to pass. And luckily, I, um, depending on your political ideology, um, the two senators from the state of Georgia are in favor of this. And so it's it's not, you know, that anyone here in Georgia is stalling. Yet you do need the, the people in and of themselves to get Article One of the Constitution, Congress, in order to pass such. Again, it still goes to the, the notion of being politically engaged. So while the Republicans right now are not in Georgia, are not discussing voting, vote, part of the reason the White House is coming to um, Georgia is because of the bill that passed here in Georgia and signed into law. So there are multiple layers um, of getting individuals engaged. So voting rights group, I would challenge them not to just um, start and stop with the executive branch in the federal government. It is to begin here in Georgia with the legislative branch, with the executive branch in Georgia about getting those changes. I, I agree completely. Um, the fundamental problem that we have right now with the voting rights legislation is that um, Republicans are going to filibuster any uh, voting rights bills that come up in the Senate. Um, and the only way to get around that or get past that is to change the filibuster rule. Um, so that's going to require all 50 Democrats in the Senate to agree to change the rule. It can be done by a simple majority vote with Vice President Harris breaking a tie vote, however, uh, we know right now that there are two Democratic senators, Senator Manchin of West Virginia, Senator Sinema of Arizona, who are very reluctant to make any changes to the filibuster. They have all sorts of peculiar reasons why they uh, claim that the filibuster is essential or somehow serves some vital purpose. Um, but we know historically the filibuster has been used uh, you know, overwhelmingly to block um, civil rights and other progressive legislation in, in the Senate and block the will of the majority. Um, but coming here, I think, is another way for Biden to highlight the points that he made in his, in his address on January 6th. And that is to point the finger right at Donald Trump and his allies in the Republican Party for pushing these sorts of voter suppression bills as a direct result of their support for Trump's lie that the election was stolen, and therefore there's a need for changes to, to uh, make voting more secure. That's what this is all about. Um, Jim and then Audrey, I want to get you into the conversation, but before I do, let me, there, were this co there was a coalition of minority uh, voting rights groups that put together this statement about the president's visit. And here's just a part of what they said. They, they say a visit is being forced upon them by the White House, requiring them to accept political platitudes, repetitious, bland promises, such an empty gesture without concrete action, without signs of real tangible work is unacceptable. Jim, that shows you how angry uh, many people are uh, about the problem of getting a, a, a bill passed, whether it's the president's fault or it's, it's the Senate. Yeah, uh, angry and frustrated. I think is 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 
is is is the emotion that's that's kind of roiling uh, in certain quarters in Atlanta, uh, vis-a-vis uh, Joe Biden, I think Alan's right. I think this is going to be this is a, his appearance on Tuesday in Atlanta is going to be a sequel to the January sixth uh, 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 speech that he gave, where he where he where he said that 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 uh, Trump had uh, Trump and his allies had put a dagger to the throat of American democracy. Okay, the follow up is question is when you have that that when you have that kind of threat when you're painting that kind of picture. What is what do you do about it? Uh, I think a lot of people are wanting to see whether uh, President Biden will come off the fence as far as the filibuster goes himself. I mean, he is. I mean, he is. He, he is. He is. He has been kind of. Uh, he, he he has not been all, all that enthusiastic about about changing uh, the filibuster. He's com- he's coming around a, a little bit and a bit by bit on on that. And and possibly you know he can bring Joe Manchin along with him. Uh, the other part I want to see Tuesday that that I think is interesting is you see, you're seeing this shift. Uh, it's maybe a maybe an element of compromise, where where there's a, there's a shifting emphasis in 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 Washington on voting rights bills toward uh, uh, election suppression bills, to 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 dressing up to to to, to fixing. Uh, the 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 electoral college uh, uh, law that was passed in the uh, I think uh, in the aftermath of the 1876 uh, uh, presidential election, and and removing making it very very clear that a vice president has no power whatsoever to re- reject a, a an electoral uh, uh, delegation from a state, and I I want to see if, if 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 Biden is going to go there. Yes, and you know, I would follow up by, I I add that, you know, when you read that statement, one of the things I would say is the ask that the groups are asking is a really big ask. You know, the presidential power, uh, you know, has its place, but the amount of influence that is required to move a sitting senator at times, like a mansion or a cinema, whose uh, voting, um, you know, is is so relevant to whether they're going to get reelected. It's really hard. And, you know, I, I would hate to say that um, I think part of this is part of a political dance right now. You have a wing of the Democratic Party that really wants to light a fire under the more moderate Democrats like Biden, and he's been moving and responding to that. But his ability to really make their requests come true is somewhat limited. At the same time, he is coming here uh, and really adding attention to Georgia. It's going to funnel more money into the state. A lot of those groups are action funds. Part of their rhetoric is geared towards getting their donors to give them money to so that they can do what Tammy's saying and, you know, focus here. Um, and I would add, we've got to look at the redistricting outcomes, too. And, and someone suggested that I mentioned today that in Athens, we had three uh, commissioners, you know, redistricted out of their seats, that there are a lot of implications for what's going on redistricting. And we really have to pay attention to all of it because it's all a part of um, what's happening right now. OK, uh, let's do this. we got to get a final break uh, in today and we'll come back with more on today's Political Rewind. Jim Galloway, uh, let's do a couple of very quick election notes uh, with uh, some of the time we have remaining here. Um, 
First of all, uh, let's say that uh, David Perdue's campaign has now filed a lawsuit uh, challenging the legality of a bill that was passed by the legislature last year that created so-called leadership committees that allow people who, during the session, certain people, leaders like Brian Kemp, David Ralston, to raise money through these committees even while the session is on. It's always been a rule in the General Assembly. You cannot raise money during uh, the session for obvious reasons. The leadership committees are, are uh, legal now. Brian Kemp's raised a ton of money against David Perdue now uh, for that, and Perdue says uh, it's, it, it's all illegal. Well, it's... it's it- uh, if it's not illegal, it's uh, certainly um, ethically questionable uh, because basically, look, you're, you, you have – and by the way, it's not restricted simply to Republican leaders. Uh, uh, the, the, the House minority leader can also establish a, a yes. leadership pack, and so, so can the Senate minority leader. And, but, it, but, it, but, but it is a workaround against the ban on campaign contributions during a, a legislative session, and it removes all caps – I mean, you can give one hundred thousand dollars if 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 you if if you have a bill in front of the legislature uh, that that is that is either good or bad to your 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 interest, your company. You can give a hundred thousand dollars to make sure that it doesn't happen as 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 as, in, as insurance. Uh, now, so so I find I find this very very interesting. This is an interesting move on Purdue's part because it. It does create an uneven playing field. Although I would say, you know, look, if you've got the Trump, if you've got the Trump brand, you're not going to have any trouble raising money. Probably not, Alan. We all complain about the fact that there's too much money in politics today. Um, but and, and I and, and it's interesting in anecdotal conversations with uh, uh, people I know. Uh, they've pointed out they think this leadership committee fundraising is really questionable. I mean, but I don't think this is the kind of issue that motivates uh, voters in a major way. It may make them a little uneasy. What's your sense of that? No, it's kind of an inside baseball um, kind of issue. Most of these uh, issues that involve uh, fundraising uh, rules are not not the sort of things that are going to get most voters agitated. There are groups of people, I think, you know, out there who you know that are concerned about this sort of thing. I mean, the interesting thing here is that I think Purdue, on, in this case, is uh, taking the same side as Democrats in the state um, who also oppose this legislation because it's seen as a boon mainly to the Re- Republican Party, uh, even though Democrats Democratic leaders can also. Um, Know, use these sorts of leadership acts. I wouldn't be surprised if it's thrown out in court. I mean, it just, it just seems like it's too obvious an, an attempt to just you know, make an end, an end around, you know, to by, bypass the, the, the rules. And, uh, you know, uh, Kemp doesn't need this additional money. I mean, he's, he's got loads and loads of money. Uh, and, and frankly, I don't think money is going to decide the outcomes of these elections in the final analysis. Mm. I think that you know, right now we have an electorate that's very, very divided um, along partisan and ideological lines. And I think people make their decisions based mainly on, on where they line up, even within the Republican Party, whether you're with Trump or whether you're whether you're uh, or you're uh, you have reservations about Trump. That's going to decide how people are going to vote here. Yeah, you know, Tammy, it's interesting that Alan says it's not money that's going to decide elections. I, what, the first thing I thought of when he said that 
is a statement from Stacey Abrams folks uh, just the other day saying that this period of time right now, they're not focusing on fundraising. Of course, they don't have to. They could raise mm-hmm. so much money. It's, it's staggering. Uh, but they're focused on mobilizing, getting their voters lined up to turn out. And that's going to be so crucial in certainly once we get to the general election. Yes, because uh, money doesn't vote, people do. And if we can get to the um, to the full appreciation of participation and constant participation, then um, then these workarounds, uh, these uh, perceived um, unfairness in the rules, where from a social Darwinism standpoint, you know, if you are on top, you're going to make rules so that you can stay on top, whether it's being in a leadership position and you can raise money when everyone else can't or you can raise more than everyone else can. The rules that are there for the masses are not there for those that are in leadership positions. Um, you know, we can move toward um, something where you have, you know, that equity. Um, I think that one of the things that we have to do when it comes to, um, again, who we put into office is to understand, you know, that our vote matters on a daily basis. And we have to really think of our New Year's resolution is to think of democracy and participation um, like we think of conditioning for our own bodies. We have to do it constantly every day versus it being one of those that we just jump into the gym for the first month uh, of the year. Audrey? Well, let me just add that um, this is not untypical. Going back to Kemp creating this um, opportunity to have an edge and one thing I would say is, while I believe that generally that practice is going to be bad for Georgia politics and um, pretty much unethical uh, uh, in many ways, it's it's smart. Boy, was it like, you know, um, a smart move to give yourself whatever advantage. And I'd mentioned that Jimmy Carter, prior to the 1980 presidential election, uh, changed some of the Democratic Party uh, primary rules to give himself an advantage. It's something that's not illegal. It's done. It, it might play out in the courts, and we'll see. David Perdue would have done better if he had gotten a group of others and targeted wholly um, those uh, committees. And I think that would have given him better standing than looking at just, like, targeting one. So we'll have to see what happens. I, you know, um, is it illegal? Probably not. Um, it'll probably stick around. But it was smart. Okay. Um Jim Galloway, I, I want to get to uh, two other issues with the little time we have left, so I want to do one of them very quickly. Uh, Georgia Democrats have tried to put themselves in a better position in terms of general election of, uh, uh, face-offs uh, on the ballot in 2022. Charlie Bailey, who came fairly close within 100,000 votes of beating Chris Carr for attorney general, Charlie Bailey being a former prosecutor himself, was going to run for AG again, hoping that this time he could beat Uh, Chris Carr. Uh, But Jen Jordan entered that race. And Jen Jordan is extremely popular with Democrats in Georgia as well as around the country. And that primary battle was worrying the Democratic Party here. Charlie Bailey has now announced he's moving to lieutenant governor's race, clearing the field for Jen Jordan. But Bailey says, I'll still work on the same issues I was going to work promote in the AG race. It's an interesting decision by Democrats, Jim. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting demonstration of the influence a party apparatus can actually have, uh, because be, 
uh, because uh, clearly what they're what they're what they're motive here is they're trying to construct a biracial ticket here. You're going to have uh, uh, Raphael Warnock uh, running for re-election in in the Senate on the top. Uh, Then you will have Stacey Abrams for governor. And uh, in in the lieutenant governor's race, you had uh, other other candidates of color. Now you've got a a white favorite. Okay, we're going to talk more about that as that race gets underway. But I do want to very quickly turn to Sam Olin's essay in yesterday's Atlanta Journal-Constitution, which I mentioned earlier in the show. Longtime Republican, uh, we know, was the former Republican attorney general of the state, uh, Republican Cobb County Commission chair. Um, and he wrote an essay in which he said, enough is enough. I am troubled by the hyperpartisan division of our country to include claims that the prior presidential election was stolen or that one political party supports law enforcement or the rule of law, meaning the other doesn't. And he says that the fight between supporters of the former president and mainstream Republicans is a cancerous disease hindering our ability to improve the sought-after uh, improved quality of life for future generations. Uh, uh, Jim, you pointed out you think that this is the beginning. We could pair this with the Carter essay in the New York Times the other day saying our democracy is threatened, that uh, there are going to be more people perhaps speaking out about toxic partisanship. Yeah, it's worth noting that Sam Mullins sits on the board of, uh, board of directors of the Carter Center. Uh, let me get everybody real quickly in the, the loop on this. Alan, give us your quick take on, on, on hearing something like this from a Sam Olins. Well, I, th- I think what we're seeing here is Sam Olins is uh, taking sides in this, in this debate that's going on within the Republican Party, where we're seeing uh, at least some Republicans who are now standing up to Trump and the big lie about the 2020 election. He's joining that group. Unfortunately, it's a very small minority of Republicans right now, especially among those who are currently in elected office. Uh, Tammy, you get, give me about 20 seconds on that. Sure. Uh, leadership sometimes is standing with a very small crowd. And when you stand up for, you know, the foundations of what is these United States, then, you know, you may have some pushback, but that's it's the right thing to do. And I would applaud him and anyone else who does the same. Yeah. And, and you know what? I would argue that until we see a lot of Republicans losing because Trump is, you know, given him, uh, given them his uh, endorsement, we're probably not going to see uh, much more change. A lot of moderate Republicans like Sam have been saying this for a while. I, I want to very quickly say that Olin's believes that the fight between moderate and moderate and progressive Democrats is also a disease hindering our ability to improve how we work together. That's an interesting uh, equation that he makes there. We're completely out of time for today's show. Alan Abramowitz, Jim Galloway, Audrey Haynes, Tammy Greer, thank you for really getting through a number of important topics on today's show. I'm grateful that you started off the week with such a terrific conversation. We'll be back again with a brand new show tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Take care. Please stay healthy. Stay away from this Omicron variant, folks. Wear your mask. Get your booster shot. We want you healthy for a very long time. See you all tomorrow, everybody. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause. And rewind. 
NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.